0: The Dugout, Premier League Preview, Football Social Daily.
1: Match day five of the Premier League season is upon us and there are nine fixtures to feast on this weekend. It's a London derby at the bridge which is top of the bill as Chelsea host Tottenham. It was all going so well for Spurs until Palace brought them crashing down to earth with a bump. Chelsea, meanwhile, have looked fearsome. Can Tuchel topple Tottenham on Sunday to keep Chelsea firmly on the Premier League pace this season? West Ham have been enjoying themselves this campaign. They won in Europe midweek, something their opponents this weekend couldn't manage. Manchester United embarrassed by young boys. Will there be backlash from Ronaldo and co. against the Hammers? Plus, Pep ruffled a few feathers by pining for the people at the Etihad this Saturday. The Manchester City boss is expecting a tough test against the stuttering Southampton side. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a new episode every day of the season. And this is The Dugout, a brand new show featuring those who've been there and done it. My name's Niall and delighted to say in The Dugout today, we've got former Manchester City striker Paul Dickov. Good to see you, Paul. How are you? i um, great. Thanks, Niall. Looking forward to it. Great to have you on. And we've also got ex-Leicester City man Sean St. Ledger alongside us as well. How are things, Sean? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, all good. Now, uh, before we start, I wanted to mention that Sean Dyche signed a new four-year deal at Burnley this week. And he's actually got a pub named after him in the town. It's called the Royal Dyche. So I was wondering if you had a boozer somewhere in Manchester named after you, Paul. What would you call it? Because it's got to be something like the Gillingham Arms, surely. That's that's got to be the name of it. I would take that all day long.
2: Um, I've been in enough boozers in Manchester, but I've not found one with my name on it yet, Niall. So, um, <laughs> but after actually after the Gillingham game, there was a pub in Shropshire, I think it was, that done a, a little pop up pint called a dick of delight which they sent me a bottle of which i've still got so that's in my i didn't win many trophies but i've put the bottle of dick of delight in there
1: that's quality get it in the cabinet love that um what about you sean what do you reckon maybe the ledge something like that don't know saints and sinners maybe you walk in a
3: saint walk out a sinner i love that
1: that's good well it, it sounds a lot better than the only irishman to score at euro 2020 bar i'm not sure that <laughs> i'm not sure that rolls off the tongue particularly well but there we go looking forward to getting stuck into the dugout today thanks for joining us nine premier league games on the agenda across saturday and sunday and we'll start with what i think is the biggest of the lot chelsea against tottenham at stanford bridge 4 30 p.m kickoff on sunday Tottenham were top going into the international break pool but they came crashing down to earth against Crystal Palace last time out. They were very poor. They drew 2-2 in their European game midweek. Do you think we're seeing Tottenham in a bit of a blip or is it a little bit more than that?
2: Um, I, th- I think it's a little bit more than that. You know, you look at the injuries they've picked up as well. You know, um, I think Lucas Moura and Bergwijn picked up injuries in and, and the European game during the week as well. And, I think if you look at their performance, especially against Palace, it was it was really poor. You know, especially off a fantastic start to the season that they've had. You know, beating Manchester City in the first game, although City did dominate the game as they always do, and then getting a couple of wins after that. You know, everything was all looking um, rosy at the start of the season for Nuno, but um, that Palace game I think would have been worrying for them. And then add that to the injuries they've got. Um, Harry Kane everybody's talking about him this summer, but he looks a bit out of sorts himself, you know, so it's going to take him time to get up and running and, you know, if Tottenham are going to have any chance this season, they need Harry Kane scoring goals.
1: Yeah, everyone's been saying about Harry Kane and how he's the model professional, Sean, but, you know, is it tough when you've had this whole saga hanging over your head a whole summer like Harry Kane has had to try and concentrate on the job at hand because he obviously wants to do well, every player does, but it's just not quite clicking for him at the moment.
3: Yeah, I guess obviously with a new manager as well, maybe different ideas. He obviously didn't come back from Euros until late and so I think it might just take him a little bit of a while to get going again. Um, as we spoke about against Crystal Palace game, it wasn't ideal with, a, with the sending off. But listen, he's a good player and I'm sure he will, he will start regaining that form that he showed in the previous seasons. He's a top, top striker and, you know, sometimes strikers go through little spells, little dips, but then I don't think you can question his quality.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about the injuries as well, Paul. It looks like there could be nine possibly on the sidelines for Tottenham. Now, you can be a side with a squad as good as Manchester City's. If you've got nine players out, that's going to cause you some problems.
2: Yeah, it is. And I think that's not just the strength and depth where Tottenham struggle a little bit. I think it's quality and depth. You know, I think if you put their, their best 11, 12, 13 players out on the pitch, they will compete with anyone. But the problem over the last few years, and I've seen it with Harry Kane, especially when he picked up his ankle injuries over the last three or four seasons, that they've tended to struggle with it, and it's going to be difficult for them. You know, they've got a hard run of games coming up. They've obviously got the Europa um, tournament that they're in as well, and so um, their squad's really going to be getting tested. But there's not many teams, I think Manchester City, Chelsea at the minute, and um, possibly Manchester United could cope with having six, seven, eight injuries because they have got that strength and depth and quality and depth. But there's not many teams that can, and you know, Tottenham are going to have to try and get through this period because. As I said, it was a fantastic start to the season. You know, they've only had the one defeat in the Premier League, so it's not a crisis yet. Um, but the the games I've got coming up, especially Chelsea, where there's you know there's there's a bit of hatred between both teams' sets of fans um, over the last few years. So it's going to be a going to be a fantastic atmosphere, but at the same time, it's going to be a tough, tough game for Tottenham, especially the form Chelsea are in.
1: Yeah, definitely. We'll come on to Chelsea in a sec, but just quickly, if you're wondering what those injuries are Jafit is suspended after being sent off against Palace. Romero and Lacelso are still involved in this bizarre Brazil Argentina quarantine thing. Sanchez, Sessignon, Son, Dyer, Lucas Moura, and Stevie Bergvine all major doubts with the game. So that is going to be hugely detrimental to Tottenham's chances of winning against the Chelsea side who just look so confident, Sean. They look like they are bang up for this Premier League title race this season. And they're actually being tipped by many to win the Premier League. We spoke about Harry Kane and what he needs to do this season. Lukaku is almost the total opposite right now. A man in such fine form. He scored again in the Champions League midweek. You were there. What has he been looking like in person? Because he looks amazing through the TV screen. What about in the flesh? Yeah, he's
3: phenomenal. I think it just shows you Chelsea's intent where they've won a European Championship and then they arguably go and sign one of the best strikers in the world football at the moment. And I think what he's added to them is a focal point for the midfielders like Kovacic, Jorginho to play into. And he's almost 99% of the time protects the ball. And in that game on Tuesday, you see Zayic, they're coming to play off him, shooting or to Fred Balls through or switch play. To Alonso, and as you touched on, then for me, they're arguably one of the favourites to, to go and win the Premier League. Look so strong offensively and defensively, they don't seem to be conceding many goals as well. And I think when you go to Liverpool, go down to 10 men so early, and you put in that dis- defensive display, resolute, resilient um, like you said, they are going to be a very good, very difficult team to beat. This
1: season. Yeah, against that Liverpool attack as well. 45 minutes with for 10 men with the players they had on the pitch. Certainly shows their defensive qualities. How will things pan out at the bridge? We'll find out 4.30pm on Sunday, Chelsea versus Tottenham. Two o'clock kickoff on Sunday, meanwhile, is West Ham versus Manchester United at the London Stadium. The first of back-to-back games between these two sides, the second of which will be taking place in the League Cup midweek, but Premier League affairs this weekend. Manchester United, they were pretty embarrassed by young boys from Bern in Switzerland midweek. Solskjaer was questioned tactically, but they face a tough Hammers team at the weekend in the Premier League pool. They're going to have to bounce back because otherwise those question marks will start appearing again, won't they?
2: Yeah, they will. And, um, you know, it's going to be a tough game. I think West Ham are a fantastic side. You know, they've, they've done ever so well last year um last season. And you know, they've strengthened again. Um, Antonio will be a miss for them, though. You know he's he's a big, big focal point for them going forward. You know Sean will tell you the one thing defenders don't want to do is is run him behind, and he's you know he's, he's blessed with ridiculous pace, um, strength, and he's he's scoring a lot of goals. So you know United, you would imagine, are going to have a lot a lot of possession um, with the players they've got in the game, but against a West Ham team who who would have been more threatening on the counter attack with McAll Antonio in there. Um, But it's a game I'm looking forward to. You know, you rightly said, United were um, really, really poor against young boys of Bern. You know, a little bit of complacency maybe crept in. You know, the game against Newcastle at the weekend, the home coming of Ronaldo, the goal scoring goals, um, it sort of looked as if they just thought they had to go out there. Um, And they went through the motions a little bit and they paid for it. Yeah, again, sending off didn't help them. But you would have still expected a Manchester United team, with the players they had out there with 10 men, to to be able to beat young boys. So I would say it's, it's a big game for Oli. You know, they get criticised for the substitutions that he made. If you take off Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes and you don't win um, when you need to get a goal, you are going to get questioned. But but he knows that, you know, he's been questioned before and he's, he's always bounced back. But I think this is going to be a really tricky game for Manchester United on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And you're also right. Antonio is suspended for West Ham, so he won't be involved. He did score in the Europa League midweek, though, against Dinamo zagreb i wanted to ask you sean about how you think jesse lingard might be feeling because obviously he was on loan at west ham last season and did really really well and some might say unlucky not to be involved in england's euro 2020 squad but he makes a horrific mistake which costs manchester united the game and now he's looking to bounce back against a side which he knows well from playing with them last season so what do you think his mentality might be going into this weekend
3: I think he's a player with a strong mentality. I think that when he was at Manchester United, everybody had wrote him off and nobody had spoke too much about the no move to West Ham. And he went in there and was phenomenal. The amount of goals and assists that he scored so through does show that he has character, that kind of strong personality to go somewhere and prove people wrong. And I guess this is another test for him. You know, it was obviously a really bad, bad pass short and I'm sure that he, he felt... Real bad on, on the plane on the way home but the good thing about football is that there's another game around the corner to put it right and then obviously against a team that he was on, on loan to last season I'm sure that he'll be chomping at the bit to get back out there and, and try and make amends for the mistake.
1: Yeah, and Paul mentioned Ronaldo as well, Sean. He was in the technical area at one point in that game against young boys. He looked like he was the manager himself pulling all the strings from the sidelines. I mean, you don't need a fired-up Ronaldo um, coming up against you, do you, if you're West Ham United? Do you fancy him to be in the mood and score again for a third consecutive game?
3: I think he's always in the mood. I think that's the reason why he's been at <laughs> an, elite, an elite level for such a long period, isn't it? Um, I was watching the Island game. Thinking it would gain the three points, and then out of nowhere he just scores two unbelievable headers. Um And I just think it's it's just that elite mentality is the reason why he is where he is. He's, he has that desire and the hunger for goals, like our friend Paul over here. We obviously play against him. <laughs> it was just non-stop, just running, just that hunger and desire for goals. And I think it's something that
1: you're you're kind of born with, you know. Yeah, it's definitely in his DNA to want goals, it's kind of like his druggist, his lifeblood isn't it and I'm sure it wouldn't be much of a surprise to anyone if he's on the score sheet against West Ham at the weekend, Sunday 2 o'clock at the London Stadium, West Ham take on Manchester United, now from the red half of Manchester to the blue half and at the Etihad Stadium on Saturday 3 o'clock kickoff. nice to see a traditional kickoff time back as well this season in the Premier League on a Saturday at 3 o'clock they take on Southampton at home do Manchester City Your old club, Paul, just a touch behind at the moment, just a point behind the league leaders currently. But with the slow start that they made last season, they ended up finding incredible form around Christmas and just after to surge to the title. And it was easy in the end for Manchester City. But considering how strong this season's Premier League is, we've already spoken about Chelsea. Manchester United have Ronaldo, Liverpool are always going to be in and amongst it. So that's four possible title contenders. So do you think with that in mind, Pep Guardiola might be slightly wary of any more early slip-ups?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think they will. I think you're, you're right. I'll bang on with the. I think this is the strongest Premier League I've I've seen in a long time, if not ever. You know, when you look at the the top four, you look at, we spoke about West Ham, you look at Villa, you look at the teams that are really pushing behind them. Um, and You can't afford any slip-ups and um, Pep will know that though you know he's, he's he's one of the best we've ever seen um, and he keeps the players on his toes I just the one thing along, along with Chelsea that, that sets Manchester City aside for me um, is the strength and quality they've got in depth you know the, they're always talking about how they needed a number nine at the start of the season obviously there was the Harry Kane um, and then possibly Ronaldo but you know they've just went and scored 16 goals in the last three games you know and that's without a so-called number nine so they're always going to create chances um, and you know the majority of the games have played already, already this season Kevin De Bruyne has not played I know he came on the other night there or it started the other night there Phil Folding came on the other night there um, so he's back to full fitness now as well and it's just the quality they've got going forward they're not conceding. I know they conceded three midweek but the Premier League you know back to back clean sheets again um, you know and they really are they're formidable and I, I truly expect them and Chelsea to be to be the ones that are going to be right there at the end of the season and um, as in slip ups, you know, they the one first game of the season against Tottenham where, you know, the, a lot of the players hadn't been back pre season yet. You know, some of them only came in the week before the season started. So once the game momentum is shown already, Um, and keep everybody fit they're going to be up there again to be shot at as the
1: champions Well City dominated their Champions League game midweek they scored six goals they did concede three but certainly it was a convincing win but the narrative after the game Paul, was about what Pep Guardiola said about encouraging what he called our people to turn up to the Etihad on Saturday for the game against Southampton I just wonder what your take is as someone who's played for the club when they were not in the Premier League. We mentioned jokingly Gillingham at the start of the show, but you'll know better than anyone the support that Manchester City do have home and away and have had over the years. Is that something that annoys you a little bit when you get all of these questions and jibes and jokes about Manchester City and their supporters?
2: Yeah, I think it's something for rival fans to to have a little dig about, you know, because you know, going back to when I was at Manchester City that that season in the old Division Two in nineteen ninety nine. You know, we were getting thirty thousand fans. We were selling out at Main Road every single week, and every away game we went to, they just didn't take over the stadium we were playing at. They took over the city and the towns. You know, and it seemed at that point the worst we got as a team. Nile, um, the the supporters got some sort of weird kick out of supporting us <laughs> even more. You know, and and the Man City's fans have seen it. You know, they've they've seen the downs when United were winning everything, and now. Obviously, the success and historically over the sort of the last ten years, when Manchester City have been in the Champions League, you know the group stages, um, the attendances have been a little down. Um, you know the, the fans have got a bit of a great with UEFA over a few things that have happened over the last few seasons, and then I also do think that you know, especially the other night there, you know, and but I was looking at attendances because I knew you were going to ask me this Niall. <laughs> over, um, over the Champions League, you know, and teams like Inter Milan, Atletico Madrid. Um, UV even there's a whole load of them that their attendances were well down in the group stages, mm. and I think the Champions League, for, from a fan's point of view, doesn't really pick up to the last sixteen, and then into the quarterfinals, and you know, and I think if you look at City's attendances over that, you know, those sell them games out like the other teams I've just mentioned, but it just doesn't seem to be that attraction in the group stages for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good point you make, and actually, three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, season ticket holders in the ground. I think will be fine in terms of attendance figures on Saturday at the Etihad against Southampton. What about the game against Leipzig then? We can't not talk about it because there were some really good performances, Sean. Jack Grealish caught the eye. He said he was moving to Manchester City to play in the Champions League. He looked very, very good, looked comfortable at that level on his first appearance. Got a goal involved in another couple of goals as well. Um, if he can translate that sort of confidence and form to the Premier League like he has been doing in recent seasons and City have definitely got a hundred million pound player on their hands, haven't
3: they? Yeah, I'm an Aston Villa fan as well, so I was devastated when he left. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: but he's a fantastic player and obviously the other night he just re- he seems to be receiving the ball a lot higher than what he was for Villa for Villa. I think he was having to drive with the ball from his own half into the oppositions and then by that time, you know, the opposition have recovered numbers now. He's receiving the ball wide, and he's running at the at the right back or the defender almost straight away. And you see that that goal that he scored, really coming onto his right foot and he called it. It was a fantastic goal, and everybody knows he's got that ability. But um, obviously, being in the game, it was nice to see De Bruyne back. You know, his quality, what a phenomenal yeah. player. Um, the own goal that McKay scored, but the the delivery to put it around the defender, and then it's that ball where you just it's impossible to defend. Yeah. Um, he's, he's yeah, I other. call
1: it, Sean, the corridor of uncertainty You'll know exactly what I mean as a former defender It's one of those positions where you just don't want the ball to go Between the keeper, between where you're standing It's just awful to try and deal with
3: Yeah, it's that one I think there's another time the buffet ball, isn't it? That striker Neil Miller used <laughs> <should> to call it <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, fantastic player and a fantastic team Who look like they're just continually going to score and, and with Ruben Diaz at the
1: back, looks so secure and so solid Mm. Southampton haven't exactly been great this season, but they did get a draw the last time they faced a Manchester club against Manchester United. Some might argue a tougher test this time around against Manchester City. They travel to the Etihad for a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily, but still more Premier League games to get stuck into next, where we'll be talking about Leicester, Liverpool and Arsenal.
0: The Dugout. Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. The Dugout. Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. This is The Dugout on Football Social Daily with me, Niall McCorn. I've got Sean St. Ledger and Paul Dickov with me and we're going to talk through the rest of the Premier League action taking place this weekend. We'll start at the Amex Stadium for this section as Leicester City travel down to the south coast. This one kicks off at two o'clock on Sunday. Brighton have started really really well Paul from what we've seen so far this season they could actually pose a really difficult test for Leicester City
2: yeah I think they will you know even over the last couple of seasons I know they've ended up getting dragged into the relegation battle possibly mainly through a lack of goals um, but they've caused teams problems in every game they've played in you know Graham Potter's got them playing in a fantastic way a style of play that, that that's not changed so every player knows what they're doing and, you know they've made a couple of decent additions in the summer as well and They've started really bright, they look really sharp and, and really confident. So it will be a big test for Leicester, but I I, I really like the look of Leicester this season. I know they'd, um, they gave away a two goal lead against Napoli and they had a bit of a beating against West Ham, but they gave Manchester City a hell of a game last weekend. Um, and the, the, the players that um, Brendan's managed to bring in, um, the players that they've got there, you know, got a fantastic mix of youth and experience. and. You know, the last couple of seasons they've just missed out in the Champions League, but I fully expect them to be up there competing again because, you know, talking before in previous games about strength and depth, that's probably the one thing that they've not had the last couple of seasons, but they've recruited really well. Um, and I really like the look of them. But I think it'll be a really good football match. Um, You know, Brighton like to play... Leicester have got some fantastic players, especially Telemans in the middle of the park. So I think it'll be a great game to watch.
1: You two obviously both used to play for Leicester. So there is an affinity there. I mean, 2-2 against Napoli, a great game against Manchester City. They're competing with some of the best sides around, Sean. So that must give the fans confidence that this season they can again go on to do good things.
3: Yeah, I think um, the expectations of the club have, have risen. You know, a community shield, an FA Cup, um, the club is certainly on the up and it's trying to maintain that position. And then, can they work themselves into the top four? They've been very, very close over the last two seasons. But as you say, Brendan's played some fantastic football with the team. Um, everybody enjoys watching them. And it's maybe not been the performances that he may have wanted at the start of the season. But I do think there's there's been a lot of injuries. Um, missing Johnny Evans is, was a huge blow. I think he was vital in the way that. Leicester performed in the, the previous two seasons. He's obviously coming back to fitness now. Um, James Justin won't be too far, I think, in November, who was fantastic again last year. And then, obviously, with, with Dakar and Soumare making their, their first starts last night um, in the Europa League, I think is a real positive because it's going to take both of them time to adapt from the Austrian League and, and from and from the French League. So um, I think that Leicester will continue to get better as the season goes on.
1: Yeah, definitely. I was at King Power Stadium on Thursday and thought that Daka and Sumare really impressed on their first starts, as you rightly point out, Sean. But also, I thought Harvey Barnes' pool was absolutely brilliant. He scored, he was involved in the first Leicester goal as well. That's his first 90 minutes of the season. He got injured last February. He's been sat on the sidelines. I asked him after the game, I said... Has that made you even more determined to be successful this season? He said, yeah, probably, I think it is. And actually, he's only 23. He's come back from a spell on the sidelines, a difficult injury to deal with. He had 13 goals for the season up till that point. Probably might have even been in contention for England for the Euros. So it came at a really horrible time for him. It's, it's great to see him bouncing back and that can only be a positive for Leicester.
2: Yeah, it is. And he's a fantastic talent. You know, Maybe a couple of seasons ago, we all knew about his pace, about his trickery. About his work rate, but the one thing that was pointed at Harvey was maybe an end product. But he came into last season, you know, as you said, thirteen goals, a lot of assists. He brought that into his game, and you know, and I think he probably would have went to the Euros um, as part of the England squad, especially as part of the bigger group that was named initially. But he's shown that he's just not good quality, and that he's added to his game all the time, and he's getting better. But he's shown a strong mentality, you know, to to have the disappointment of the injury and being out for so long, missing out in the Euros missing out in an FA Cup final as well, to come back um, probably fitter and stronger than what was in the first place. And and I love watching him. You know, he's just he's so direct and positive. He excites the fans every time he gets the ball. And, you know, he's added that little bit extra in his end product to the game, as I said before.
1: Yeah, great to see him doing well. And he'll be part of the Leicester crop that travels down to Brighton on Sunday, two o'clock kick-off at the Amex. Time to turn our attentions to Anfield now, where Liverpool host Crystal Palace. This one starts Saturday at three o'clock. Liverpool look so threatening against AC Milan in the Champions League midweek, Sean. I mean, they did get an early goal, but they could easily have had two or three. They're still unbeaten with 10 points. They've conceded just once. That came against Chelsea. It's still early and they're looking good. But do you think that maybe they need to be slightly more clinical in front of goal? Because really, they should have been out of sight against AC Milan.
3: Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Sometimes it goes, sometimes it doesn't. But you just have to look at the front three or front five, I guess. You know, you have Yasser, Mane, Salah, Firmino. You know, the options they have, it's frightening. And they'll continue to challenge for the title. I think Paul touched on it earlier that this is probably one of the most unpredictable Premier Leagues. I think that there has been because the teams are so strong at the moment. And obviously, I think Van Dijk's made a huge difference, hasn't he? An amazing effort from Liverpool to gain Champions League football last season with the injuries that they had at centre-back and then now you look at Van Dijk, Matip, Trent and and Robertson, it's that back four that they've kind of had and had so much success in keeping clean sheets and um, yeah, I can't see Liverpool conceding too many or losing too many with the options they have available to them.
1: I've said this a few times this season, Paul, so I just wondered what your thoughts were. Do you reckon Liverpool are going under the radar this season a little bit? Because everyone's looking at Chelsea with Lukaku, City are the reigning champions, Manchester United have got Ronaldo back. Liverpool haven't really made any huge signings in the last couple of windows, but they've still got, as Sean says, a really fearsome forward line. So do you think that they might be just flying under the radar ever so slightly this season?
2: Yeah, I do. And I think at the start of the season, you know, um, but I think purely because, you know, 97-98 97-98 million and Lukaku 100 million for Grealish Ronaldo going in you know they're going to grab the headlines all the time but I don't think Jurgen Klopp and the Liverpool players are mine get under the radar a little bit they've got a fantastic squad you know as Sean rightly said probably um, having Van Dyke's back this season is like probably getting 100 million um, pound signing themselves. he's got such a big influence on, that, on the team and on the squad um, and you know one goal conceded in the Premier League says it all but you know, it's just repeating what Sean's saying. Really, when you've got the front four that they've got, that they can rotate a little bit, um, they're going to be they're going to be up there at the end of the season without a shadow of a doubt. Because they know how to win the Premier League, they know how to win the Champions League as well, and they're a team full of winners. Um, my only slight concern about them is if they did pick up a couple of injuries, you know, because they showed last season that when um, when Jota was out for a while, and obviously Van Dijk and Gomez, that they didn't quite have that strength and depth to deal with it but if if Liverpool can keep the first 11-12 players fully fit they'll be right up there to the very end because they're a fantastic side
1: As we've said a couple of times throughout the show the title race is looking so exciting already and we're only five games into the season Crystal Palace also upended Tottenham's reign at the top of the Premier League table after the opening three or four matches they convincingly beat Spurs 3-0 3-0 last week, a great first win of the season for Patrick Vieira, a great first Premier League win for him as Crystal Palace boss. I mean, you spent a bit of time at Crystal Palace, didn't you, Paul? I mean, what, what sort of things are the fans expecting nowadays, do you think? Because obviously they're an established Premier League club now. I've seen a few supporters say that they're kind of dreaming of Europe. They'll take the Europa Conference League. They don't care. They just want to get out onto the continent and follow their club. What do you think Patrick Vieira's sole aim is this season and what do the fans expect from him? Do you think?
2: Yeah, I think Patrick, you know, I know Patrick reasonably well, um, obviously from 10 together at Arsenal and then when I'm being their um, EDS manager at Manchester City, and he's he's just such an impressive guy. You know, he's very calm in everything that he does. Um, he's got his own philosophy about how he wants to play. Um, I know people criticise, some people criticise the appointment um, because he's his so-called record at New York City, then at Nice, but he actually went into both clubs and and done very good jobs. That had them playing a style of football, um that was really attractive to watch. And I think the Palace fans um, will really take to him because you know Roy Hodgson done a wonderful job. You know, no doubt about it. But I think towards the end, the last couple of seasons, the fans felt it was a little bit stale. What they were watching, you know, it was sit back, get behind the ball, try and hit teams in the counter with with Zaha up top and andres Townsend at the time. Um, and it wasn't very enjoyable to watch at times. Whereas Patrick will come in, he'll, he'll want them to play expansive football, he'll want them to play. And then odd you know, was, I've seen a lot of them at Celtic over the last couple of years. He's only 23, and he is a fantastic signing because uh, Palace, historically, over the last five, six, seven, eight years, haven't scored enough goals. But they've genuinely got a striker there now that can go on and hit 15 to 20 goals. And with the style that Patrick wants to play, once he puts his stamp in it, I think Palace fans can be really excited about what's going to be happening in the future.
1: I think there was a bit of relief when they beat Tottenham as well, Sean, just because they kind of had flashbacks of when Frank de Boer was their manager and, you know, had the first few games of the Premier League season, didn't score, didn't win, and then he was sacked pretty, pretty early into the season. And obviously, they don't want a repeat of that with Vieira after so much stability under Roy Hodgson as a player when you do have that sort of situation where someone's come in as a manager and it's just not working how long do you give it as a player how long is it before you realise okay this just isn't going to work between us
3: uh, I think that as a player you have to continue to be professional throughout and give 100% no matter how the results are going because the potential new manager might be watching in the stand or speaking to people behind the scenes. And if he hears possibly a bad character reference and if he comes in, then that could affect you with the new manager. So look, you're getting paid by the football club at the end of the day and you have to give your all um, regardless of the situation of the manager. Whether you agree with the playing style, you know, you kind of have to adhere to the philosophy of the manager and and try your best to adapt to it. and I think that Crystal Palace will get better with time, as we have touched on. There's a new philosophy, a new playing style, new players. And it will all take time to kind of gel together. And I do think that the, the sending off enhanced and gave Palace an opportunity to go and get that victory. But um, as we've seen before, when the sending off, it makes a, a real impact on the games and gives that impetus to the team to go on and, and get the three points.
1: I just wonder if you ever get that feeling when you're playing, and obviously you're not going to come out and let that compromise your performances, but I just wonder if you ever get that feeling that someone's skating on thin ice or it's just not working or something's going to go down. I mean, Paul, you've played and managed, is there that element of things behind the scenes sometimes that takes place? I'm not saying that this is going to happen with Patrick Vieira, but just thinking back to the Frank de Boer days where it almost felt inevitable that if he didn't get a win, that ice was going to crack and he was going to end up losing his job. Do you kind of get that feeling that you know that something's happening?
2: You know, As a player and as a manager, I've been on both sides of it, you know, and it's, it's, it's just simple for me and Isle. you know, if you're not winning games, you're, you're under pressure you know, and as players, but especially as the manager. And, if, you know, it used to be the time when managers would get time, you know, but you'd lose two, three, four games in the trot and your head's on the block. It's just the way football is. But, but as a manager, you know that, you know, that that's when you get into that job, your eyes are open. And you know that if you're not going to be winning football matches, you're going to be under pressure. And if you don't win the games after that, ultimately you're going to get sacked. So whether it be Patrick Vieira, whether it be, Pep Guardiola you know that they all know their eyes are open wide about what the situation is when you take that manager's job
1: yeah definitely I think being a manager is just ruthless isn't it 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 nearly killed me mate that's why I'm not doing it anymore (laughs) I'd tell you what you could even be winning games at Oldenpool and your head would still be on the block by the sounds of the way things are going over there (laughs) that's exactly what happens (laughs) (laughs) we won't go into that we'll spare that for another day Liverpool against Crystal Palace Saturday three o'clock Burnley Sean Dyche has signed a new deal at the club. He's been there almost nine years already. He's the longest serving Premier League manager and he will lead his team out at Turf Moor against Arsenal at three o'clock on Saturday, having signed a new four-year deal, which keeps him at the club until 2025. We'll talk about Burnley in a second. I want to start with Arsenal, though, Sean, because they beat Norwich... In their last game to get them out of the relegation zone. But it's been a tough start for them. I think I read somewhere the worst start in their 118-year league history. This game feels equally as important for Arteta as the Norwich game did just last week.
3: Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? There seems to be a lot of media attention on Arsenal. Um, But I think he would have been relieved to have got that victory, especially... At home, you know the. Um, I thought the performance was was pretty good. In fairness, obviously the the new signing Tommy is in to have made an impact, and, and obviously with Aubameyang back in there, um, I think that they'll be okay. You know, I like Arteta as manager, like the way that he speaks, um, and I think he just has he needs more time. That's why I think there's been a lot of lot of change at Arsenal over the last couple of years, and I think that they need stability at this point and to let him continue the job because. The way he talks, I think he talks with intelligence, a lot of sense and I'd like to see him stay in the job and continue the project that he seems to have started.
1: Obviously, similar to what you were saying about um, Patrick Vieira, Paul, you've been around Manchester City when Mikel Arteta was there as the assistant to Pep Guardiola. Also, Arsenal, a, a club you're very fond of, where it's where you started your Premier League career, of course. Does it hurt you to see the way that Arsenal have fallen because it's almost unrecognisable from the teams of old that we were talking about before, you know, Patrick Vieira, what a player he was, but it seems a long way away now uh, from those days for Arsenal.
2: Yeah, it does. And look, that was not just being a kid at Arsenal, but coming through the ranks and you um, had a fantastic football education there as, as a youngster. And um, I don't just think it's under Mikel's reign. I think um, there's been a lot of problems behind the scenes um, for a good eight, nine, ten years now. and And because of that, it's, it's caused a little bit of angst in the crowd and, and on the pitch, they've just not been performing, you know, and um, they've always had wonderful players going forward, but they've never ever really replaced um and I know it goes back all the way back to Tony Adams, Steve Ball, Martin Keenon, and then you can go to Saul Campbell and people like that, you know, they've never really had that strong backbone and they've been a little bit of a soft touch to play against. But going back to your point about Mikel, you know, I see Mikel a lot um when he was coach at Manchester City. Um, and he's respected massively by all the players, and he is a fantastic coach. And um, but he's a strong character as well. You know, he's 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 not a walkover. He, he won't suffer as gladly, as he showed already. Um, and I'm pretty sure that that he will get it right eventually. It's a tough time for them. Um, the Norwich game was massive for them. You know, because if they hadn't have won that, he really would have been under the pressure. But he needs to get a run of games now where they don't get beat for the next four or five games because if that doesn't happen the next game is the pressure's just going to build all the time if they can't get a result against Burnley it's going to be back to what it was like ten days ago
1: when yeah. the
2: pressure was really on
1: definitely the pressure was on it felt like something was going to give and uh, in the end it was Norwich that gave Arsenal got the win they've pulled themselves out of the relegation zone Burnley haven't they are in the bottom three but they didn't win their first game of the season until their eighth attempt last time around Sean they're currently 18th haven't won in the league this season as I say but Sean Dyche is the sort of character that won't be pushing the panic button will he because he's been in this situation so many times I think he can feel confident that his Burnley side will be able to get out of trouble
3: yes certainly I think they've got the experience in the squad as well a lot of the players are pretty much the same they don't have a huge turnover of players you saw the new signing from Cornet from Leon will add pace and power to the team um, for me Burnley are not a team that I would worry about you know they've been in it for such a long period now Dice long serving Premier League manager um, and they'll be fine you know they'll certainly
1: pick up points without doubt Definitely think Burnley will be all right this season. They take on Arsenal at Turf Moor, 3 o'clock on Saturday. Time for our final break of Football Social Daily, the dugout for today's show. Still three more games to talk about and we'll do it next after this.
0: The Dugout, Premier League Preview, Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Premier League Preview, Football Social Daily.
1: Welcome back to the final part of the Dugout from Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. I've got former Leicester City players Sean St. Ledger and Paul Dickhoff with me to discuss the remaining fixtures of the weekend. Aston Villa against Everton is shaping up to be a good one. That's half past five on Saturday. Villa played pretty well against Chelsea, Sean, but the Blues were just too strong and ended up winning by what looked like quite a dominant scoreline. How demoralising is that as... A Villa fan and as a former player yourself when you play well and you lose is that a real sickener uh,
3: I think it can be but then you look at the opposition and say that these are European champions and these are top team that could probably win the Premier League this season so you almost forget about that one and then go on to the games that maybe are more realistically you you're going to win um Everton have obviously had a good start Rafa's excellent manager, organises the team, really compact, but Villa, I think I've done really well, you know, under Dean Smith that continues to evolve, the signing of Buendia, Um excited to see Leon Bailey. I know that he's had his, his injuries, but um, a really exciting winger from Leverkusen, and then obviously Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings. I think it's exciting times mm. for a Villa fan that recruited really well. They've got a good manager. Um, Do you
1: think he's underrated, Dean Smith?
3: Yeah, I think he is, um, to be honest. I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves because I think it's very difficult now to come from the Championship and to progress the team into becoming one that you will think, oh, will they be relegation contenders this season? I don't think that Villa are now. I think they maintain their Premier League status and have the ambition to then try and fight for the European spots Um, and obviously Aston Villa's a huge club, it's steeped in in history Um, and I think that hopefully Villa will continue that upward trajectory.
1: Talking of those European spots, Everton might have one eye on those, Paul, considering how they've started under Rafa Benitez, 10 points so far, level at the top of the table. The longer he stays unbeaten, the less those questions will come, especially considering his links with Liverpool and the more people will look at Everton as a real threat this season.
2: Yeah, they've had a fantastic start. And, you know, Rafa's track record, wherever he's been, has been fantastic. You know, and Everton have got some good, good players. Um, you know, and Andrus Townsend has scored an unbelievable goal the other night there. And Damari and Gray, who I've always really rated, you know, he's never really had the opportunity. He was in and out at Leicester, then obviously goes to Germany, comes back. Um, and it looks as if he's going to be one of their main players. But Rafa always sets his team up as very, very hard to beat. And going forward, you know, with, I've just mentioned Demary Gray, Andrews Townsend, Richarlison, the wonderful player, and, and Calvert-Lewin. I know he's out for a couple of weeks, but he, he'll get you guaranteed goals. And they look really good. And, you know, it goes back to what we keep saying about this Premier League being one of the strongest that we've seen, you know. Got an Aston Villa team that have recruited fantastically well. We have a great manager against an Everton team that are flying. And it's, it's going to be a great game to watch
1: must please you as a former striker pool to see how many good forward players we've got in the league, particularly number nines. There was a conversation I saw a couple of years ago saying that the number nine is been and gone, you know, dying out. But we've got Kane, we've got Lukaku. I mean, Ronaldo is now a number nine, really, isn't he, in effect? And that's not including the likes of Bamford, Ings, Calvert-Lewin. You know, there's so many good strikers in the league.
2: They are. And, you know, we're blessed to watch it every single week. You know, we've got I know um, in Germany they've got Lewandowski and now at PSG with, with Messi and, and Bappe and Neymar, but you, you look at the Premier League and, you know, they'll just pick out two Ollie Watkins, Danny Ings, you know, they both could quite easily get 15 goals each other season. You know, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, very, very similar. You know, Greenwood, Lukaku, you know, Ronaldo, we're, we're just blessed with fantastic attacking players and, you know, as you said, it made me laugh a few years ago when I was saying the number nine had gone. It's as if for sort of Going back into full circle again, um, and seeing them there, but it's you know as an ex striker and an ex player, and I know Sean will say the same. It's it's just great to watch to see all this attacking talent that we've got in the Premier
1: League. I know, Paul, you'd be getting up into the loft and dusting off the old copperman owls if uh, if there was any danger <laughs> of the number nines uh, dying out. Doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. Villa against Everton, five thirty Saturday. We're going to talk Wolves now. They take on Brentford. That's the early kickoff Saturday lunchtime, half twelve. They're yet to win a game as well this season. Sean, do you think they've been unlucky? note though because they were decent against Manchester United and actually the performances they've put in they've not been terrible it's not been dire they've just been for me a little bit unlucky I wondered what your take was
3: yeah no I totally agree with that I watched the um, opening game of the season against Leicester as well and I thought that they performed very well you know um, good intensive press the manager seems to want to try and be a bit more aggressive more proactive Um, and obviously it's great to see Jimenez back playing um, and then obviously with Trincag coming in on the sides, so I think it might give him a bit of time to adapt into the speed of the Premier League, but I wouldn't be too worried about Wolves, I think that they'll continue to pick up points over the season
1: um, they've got some really good players in that squad. Talking to number 9 I forgot about Jiménez, forgot about Tony as well, there's loads of them, and, can't get and away Jamie, from Jamie
3: and Jamie Vardy we didn't talk oh, about
1: <laughs> how did I forget Jamie Vardy it's ridiculous yeah um, <laughs> Talking of Ivan Tony, Brentford will fancy themselves to upset a few teams this season, Paul. Particularly with Wolves' form, and we say Wolves haven't performed badly, but the table doesn't lie. They've they've lost all of their games. They're, you know, they're they're in trouble at the moment. So Brentford will be eyeing this one up as one they could possibly take a full allocation of points from.
2: Yeah, I think the refreshing thing about Brentford is, uh, regardless of who they play, whether it be Wolves or when they come up against Manchester United, Manchester City, so they, they won't change the way they play. You know, Thomas Frank's got them playing really exciting football. Um, they're on the front feet. They're on. Um, it, it's one of these nobody's expecting anything at Brentford. You know, so so they can go out in a majority of the games and play without um the pressure that a lot of the teams that are going to be expected to struggle down there are going to be in. Um, as I said, I like I like watching them. I think they've got a fantastic manager. They've got some wonderful young players, and they play with such enthusiasm. You know, that it's great to see. They play without fear. Um, and I I think they're going to be okay because of that just purely because of that because when you go out and Sean will tell you this when you you go out and you play with no fear in every single game you've got a great chance of winning
1: Yeah, I really like Brentford. I think they're a really attractive team. They're almost like everyone's second team, aren't they? Especially for neutrals who are looking for a Premier League team to support. I think there'll be a fair few more Brentford fans come the end of the season, regardless of what happens uh, in whether they stay up or drop back down to the championship. Speaking of staying up, final game we're going to discuss on today's podcast, Norwich against Watford, three o'clock Saturday. Sorry, any Norwich and Watford fans, but it was inevitable that you were going to be bottom of the list for today. You probably will be on match of the day as well unfortunately, for you guys. But we are going to discuss this clash of the two promoted sides. Who do you think's best placed, Sean, to stay up? If you were going to pick one of these two sides to stay up, all things considered, who are you picking, Norwich or Watford? You can't say both, by the way. Not even that. (laughs) (laughs)
3: That's a really difficult question, isn't it? Um, Norwich, I guess, have experience of being in the Premier League more than, what I guess, Watford have. Um, But... You know, I don't. Know. I'm to sit on the fence. I really couldn't tell. I'll oh, get those splinters out of your arms. <laughs> you can't be having
1: that. What about you, Paul? We'll throw it over to you. What do you reckon? Uh, I'll go the other way. I think. I
2: think they're both going to struggle. Um, you know, it's it's going to be so difficult. Go, goes back and keep repeating myself about this Premier League being the strongest it's ever been. You know, I will look at both their squads and both get good players, um, but are they at the level um, to perform week in, week out um, to, to to win? Pre- matches in the Premier League. You know, they've both shown already that they're struggling. I know Watford did a good result in the first game of the season. Um, I worry for Norwich. I've had to pick one out of the two to, to stay up. I think Watford have just got that little bit more about them going forward. You know, that they've got pace in there and they've got strength going forward in the attack. Um But I, I do worry for both of them. You know, I, I don't think they've especially Norwich, I don't think they strengthened enough. You know, losing Wendia, who was fantastic for them last season, without really going out and spending money to replace them has got to be a big worry for
1: them yeah I think I'm probably with you I reckon both could go down which makes me as much of a hypocrite as Sean <laughs> <for> not, <laughs> but instead of choosing one or the other that game kicks off at three o'clock on Saturday and that brings to an end this week's edition of the dugout thanks very much to Sean St. Ledger and to Paul Dickoff for your company I'm going to start a petition to get boozers named after these two lads I'm surprised <laughs> the Gillingham arms isn't already something in Manchester we'll get it done forget the statue outside the Etihad pool forget being alongside Vinnie company and David's. Silver, we'll get your own pub. That would be a better way to celebrate
2: 100 million percent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Paul. My name's Niall. Don't forget to hit subscribe, that way, you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. Don't forget, we are the only daily Premier League podcast out there every single day of the season, a brand new episode. So if you hit subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to the show on, that way, you won't miss a new episode every time the next one is released. But that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on The Dugout, and we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily.
0: The Dugout, Premier League Preview, Football Social Daily.